0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Lone Wolves Club podcast, a podcast for conversations you won't find in the church, a club for those who feel like a lone wolf. I'm your host, Nicole Porter, and if you are tuning in for the first time, I am in the middle of a mini series for Halloween for spooky season. So, for the weeks leading up to Halloween, I am covering niche topics within the Christian community that are a little bit more eerie and a little bit more spooky. And I guarantee you that these are topics you have not heard discussed in church. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into today's topic, which is Uncovering Satanic Ritual Abuse. So, in today's society, Satanism seems to be everywhere, right? We have Sam Smith dressing up as the devil and performing for the Grammys, which caused an uproar about a year ago. And as recently as this episode is being filmed, we have another musician, Doja Cat, who is also under fire for the use of Satanism in some of her artwork surrounding the promotion of her new album. If you haven't seen the cover of a new album, she is pretty much dressed up like a demon and crawling up the walls of a bedroom. It's very eerie, very spooky, and so she has also come under fire for dabbling in the Satanic arts, if you will. So, the idea of devil worship and Satanism is nothing new in pop culture. And, in fact, in the 1980s, the fear of Satanism, the creation of the Satanic Church, and the fear of devil worship and ritualistic abuse became rampant in a international wave of panic known as the satanic panic so i'm going to cover the history of the satanic panic in this episode and then i'm also going to talk about how i have seen talks of satanic ritual abuse or sra in today's society. I think it is a fascinating topic, and I think it leads down some dark and twisting avenues within today's culture. So we are going to talk about all of that and more. So as I said, backing up to the 1980s, specifically the year 1983, we have the first recorded incident of someone claiming to be a survivor of satanic ritual abuse, which I will call SRA moving forward, just to save myself that tongue twister. So the first victim or survivor of SRA, who came forward and her story was widely popularized, was a woman named Michelle... Smith. She was working with a therapist at the time. His name was Lawrence Pasder. In their therapy sessions, Lawrence Pasder used a type of therapy which is now debunked, but the kind of therapy he used was called repressed memory therapy or recovered memory therapy. And the idea of this kind of therapy was simply as the title says, that people have been through such traumatizing things that they have lost those memories, so to speak, and they can be recovered again through very intense therapy. Now, while I believe in repressed memory or recovered memory, whatever you want to call it, I don't think that recovered memories are as grandiose as Michelle's recovered memories claim to be. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But anyway, back to Michelle and Lawrence. So they were working together. She was seeing him as her therapist. Later, they married. So make of that what you will. And together, they wrote a book called Michelle Remembers and this was published in 1983. This book took the U.S. and the world, honestly, by storm. People went crazy for it because nothing like this had really been widely discussed in pop culture before. You know, first we have the idea of recovered memory therapy, which was, you know edgy and different and at the forefront of psychology or so people thought for the time and then on top of that we have a woman who is claiming that through her recovered memory therapy she remembered being ritualistically abused by people who were members of a satanic cult and they ritually abused her in order to gain power and fame and other high positions within society. And so the idea that there was this dark underbelly of Satanists who were abusing people to climb to great heights within society was alluring and sensational and sexy and dark and edgy. And so it took the world by storm and people could not get enough of the idea that there was a cult of people who worshipped the devil and who preyed on innocent men and women and children for their gain. So SRA cases really soared in 1983 when later, a daycare ran by the McMartin family came under fire with intense allegations of SRA. So the McMartin family owned a daycare that hundreds of children attended. You know, it was just your normal daycare, your normal after-school program run by this, this family, this very well-established family based in California. But they came under fire for SRA allegations by a mother who claimed that her son, who was attending the McMartin daycare, had been sodomized by her ex-husband and the patriarch of the daycare of the family, Mr. McMartin. This case lasted for seven years, and to this day it is still the longest and most expensive case in American history. And it went on and on because, of course, Mr. McMartin wanted to prove his innocence. I mean, if you are accused of something as awful as SRA, you want to defend your reputation. You want to defend your honor and your livelihood. And so, of course, he fought tooth and nail to prove his innocence. But, however, the case ended up being dropped almost a decade later when no hardcore evidence could be provided. So think about that. All that time, all that money, all those resources wasted just for all of the accusations to be dropped almost a decade later. This kind of set the precedent for how many, many SRA cases played out. Spoiler alert. Because there were many, many cases of SRA that were brought up during the 1980s and early 1990s. In total, there were 12,000 cases of SRA reported during that decade from the 1980s to the 1990s. And so during that decade, Unlikely, groups like teachers, therapists, doctors, and policemen were working together to solve or try to solve more and more cases of SRA. SRA continued to be everywhere in pop culture. Books, magazines, radio shows became dedicated to spreading information on SRA, even down to the signs and symptoms of it, So, that all of these groups, like doctors, teachers, therapists, could be on the lookout for children or women who were exhibiting signs and symptoms that they had been victims of SRA. So, during this frenzy, this satanic panic, where SRA cases seemed to be everywhere, a fear of Satanism, devil worshippers, Satanist, whatever you want to call them, grew and grew and grew, especially after the Church of Satan was founded in the mid eighties. This only heightened people's fear of devil worshippers because now there was a dedicated church for people to go worship the devil. Parents became Increasingly suspicious of anything that might look like the occult, that might look like devil worship, even down to the popular 80s game Dungeons and Dragons. In fact, there was a whole protest group formed by mothers to protect their children from getting sucked into playing Dungeons and Dragons because they thought it glorified Satan and witchcraft, and the occult. Heavy metal music also became popular in the 70s and 80s, and it was also scrutinized as having ties with Satanism and devil worship because no music like it had really been created yet. And so many, many people started to believe that if you listened to heavy metal or if you were into heavy metal music or if you played in a heavy metal band, then you were glorifying Satan because only the devil would like that kind of trash music, right? (laughs) I'm making a joke. My husband is actually a huge heavy metal fan um, and has tried unsuccessfully to get me into it for as long as we have been together. (laughs) But anyway, all of that, games like d and music like heavy metal, starting to have ties with the occult and Satanism within certain groups of society, namely hardcore Christians and concerned mothers. But towards the late 80s, the stack of SRA cases were found to be unsubstantiated. That's right. In all of the 12,000 cases that were brought up, none could be fully substantiated. Now, I want to back up and say that, yes, there were a few cases, very, very few cases of SRA. But by unsubstantiated, I mean people were claiming that Again, there was like a whole cabal or a whole network of Satanists who were involved in ritualistically abusing children and women. When in reality, the cases that were found to actually be true and actually involve some kind of Satanic abuse were isolated to just one individual who was into Satanism or even maybe one family that was into Satanism. It wasn't a widespread ring of people who were involved in satanic cult activity. So the talk of SRA died down for the most part. But there were still some fringe groups that held on to the idea of SRA. One author, Kathy O'Brien, published articles alleging that the MKUltra experiments by the CIA back in the 80s and 90s was in fact brainwashing children to be mindless robots or slaves that could be used in SRA. Kathy's conspiracy theories faded out of pop culture and SRA dropped into the shadows for years and years. However, her theories are interesting because she was the first person who accused the government of potentially being involved in SRA. Before, it was only certain groups of people not really tied to any kind of entity like the government. It was more just a fear that people in general were into Satanism. So Kathy O'Brien was a bit different in the fact that she tried to come up with a conspiracy theory that government agents were involved in SRA. And that's important because in 2017, so we're fast-forwarding through quite a bit of time because Kathy's allegations were brought up in the early 2000s, so we're fast-forwarding about a decade or two. In 2017, the QAnon conspiracy theories started popping up on 4chan. If you're not familiar with 4chan, it is an anonymous internet forum or chat room, you could call it, where people can post about anything and everything, and it's quite dangerous because you are kept anonymous. You don't have a profile picture that shows your real face, and your username is just a bunch of, you know, random words and nonsense things that make up a username. So QAnon was born out of that omnimity, and it caught like wildfire, especially during the pandemic. I'm sure all of us have someone in our life who believed in the QAnon conspiracy theories. And one theory that popped up during 2020 was the idea that celebrities now were involved in SRA. So the theory switched from government officials being involved in SRA to celebrities being involved in SRA. And I remember seeing some celebrities who were under fire for being involved in SRA such as Tom Hanks or Chrissy Teigen. Both of them caught a lot of fire from the QAnon community, so much so that I would say in 2021, if I remember correctly, Chrissy Teigen finally deleted her Twitter account, claiming that the hate and threats and The name-calling, specifically people calling her a pedophile, grew to be too much, and so she deleted her Twitter account. For Tom Hanks, I remember looking at his Instagram, and it would be flooded with the pizza emoji, if y'all remember Pizzagate. That was the conspiracy theory that whenever celebrities would talk about pizza or mention pizza or anything like that, they were actually talking about the types of children that they wanted to seek out and involve in these ritualistic um, abuse scenarios. So for example, I think pepperoni pizza meant a little girl, cheese pizza meant a little boy. And it was very random, but surprisingly enough, celebrities would talk a lot about pizza, especially Christine Tegan. And so she would post something like, oh, it's so funny when you bring pizza on a plane and everybody claps and laughs. So people would interpret that as her bringing a child onto a plane, having a child in her possession that she was going to do awful things with. And again, when I would check Tom Hanks's Instagram from time to time, I would see it flooded with pizza emojis and people calling him a pedophile and things like that. And it got to the point that his um, Instagram posts were no longer open to people commenting on them. So he turned off the ability, or his team probably turned off the ability to comment on his post because he was just getting flooded with allegations of being a pedophile and being involved in this cabal of celebrities that were part of some satanic cult. But, as was the case with all of the SRA cases that were brought up in the 1980s, all of the celebrities like Tom Hanks and Christine Teigen and many others who were accused of being pedophiles, who were accused of being a part of SRA, could not be proved. There was no hardcore evidence linking any of the celebrities' To these crimes. There was no proof, no evidence. It was all just hearsay. So if there has not been any evidence of SRA happening back in the satanic panic of the 1980s, or the QAnon theories in 2020, why are so many claims of SRA still floating around? And you might ask, well, where where are these claims? Who is still claiming to be a survivor of SRA? Well, I will tell you, it is on TikTok. (laughs) Everything crazy is on TikTok, right? So the other day, I was scrolling through TikTok, as we all do, and I came across a woman who went by the username Nikki Knight. And she was speaking at a festival called Bard's Fest with an S, not to be confused with Bard Fest, which is a festival celebrating Shakespeare or the Bard, as he is also known. But this festival, Bard's Fest, happened in Kentucky earlier this year. And mysteriously, when I went to look at the website for Bard's Fest, to see if I could find Nikki Knight as one of the speakers. I couldn't find their website at all. It had been deleted. I could only see images promoting um, the festival, like little promotional flyers and things like that. But I could not find the actual website. So, very interesting. And at first I was taking in her story and I was like, okay, this could be legit because I do believe that people um, are absolutely subjected to SRA and other horrible things like that. I'm not trying to say that SRA isn't a thing that happens. I just don't think it happens at such a large scale. And I'm going to talk more about that at the end when I kind of give my final thoughts. So anyway, Nikki was sharing her account of surviving SRA. I was listening to it with an open mind and hearing her out because, again, I believe that SRA does actually happen. But the more she shared her story, the more I was like, nah, nah, girl, (laughs) I, I don't believe you. And this is why. So, first of all, she mentioned that the SRA occurred at the hands of her stepdad, the evil stepparent, right? Classic, classic trope. And she mentioned that every night soon after her stepdad and her mom got married, her stepdad would come into her room while she was a young girl. He would come into her room at night. And he would choke her to the point of her passing out. And when she would wake up again, she would be in a strange room with a bunch of men, and they would proceed to assault her and perform ritualistic, satanic-related abuse. And that struck me as odd, because I'm like, don't you think your mom would realize that you were gone and her husband was gone every single night? I mean, I don't know about you, (laughs) I mean, I'm a light sleeper. I can tell when my front door is being opened. I can tell when people are moving around in the house. And if her mom was a heavy sleeper and maybe didn't notice it, you know, a few nights, don't you think she would mention it eventually? Because Nikki claimed that this happened almost every single night. So I'm sure eventually one of those nights her mom would wake up and realize that both her husband and her daughter were gone. So that kind of seemed odd to me. The second part of her story that seemed odd to me was that she claimed that CPS, Child Protective Services for those who don't know, doctors, teachers, police, church leaders were all involved in the SRA and that is why she did not go to any of those entities for help and she had to survive and escape. On her own without help. Three, she mentioned that these men would often hunt her for sport. So they would take her to a dark forest or a dark patch of woods somewhere. They would make her run through the forest and they would chase after her and try to hunt her like she was an animal, like a deer or something. And a few times she was actually shot and had to pull the bullets out of her body on her own. And again, she claimed that she was 9 or 10, and I'm like, I don't know about you, but I don't know any 9 or 10-year-old that would be clever enough or, you know, with it enough to pull out bullets from their own body. Another point that seemed odd to me was that she mentioned when the men were abusing her and other children because, of course, there was a whole group of children that were being abused as well. They would bring her and the children to the point of extreme fear or even death through their abuse. And they were doing that because they believed when you brought children to either the brink of death or the brink of extreme terror, children's blood would produce something called adrenochrome, this property within children's blood that would essentially allow you to be more youthful, be more energetic. And so they would bring these children to the point of death or the point of extreme fear through abuse. They would inject them with syringes, and then they would take their blood from them and use it to make themselves more youthful, more powerful, all of those things. Now, again, the conspiracy theory of Adriochrome comes out of QAnon. It is largely debunked. (laughs) It is not really a thing. But yet, of course, some people still believe that. And the funny thing is, when she was describing the Um, way that the adrenochrome was taken from her and the other children who were captured along with her, when she mentioned that the adrenochrome could only be harvested when the children were at the point of extreme fear, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I heard this in a movie. In fact, I'm pretty sure (laughs) I'm pretty sure this is kind of like the plot of Monsters, Inc. by Pixar. (laughs) So if you remember in that movie, there was a whole underworld of monsters and the way that they would power their city was not through normal power, but they would go into children's classes at night, they would scare them to the point of screaming, and then they would collect the children's screams and fear, and that is what would power their city. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure she just stole that idea of how the adrenochrome was harvested from Pixar's Monsters, Inc. movie. And the very last point she shared that made me not really believe her story was the fact that she survived SRA and that, as she claims, countless men were involved who were policemen, church leaders, doctors, like her whole town apparently. You know, I would Feel like in the wake of that, if so many people abused you and did awful things to you, I don't think you would want to go to a festival and get up and share your story of being abused by all of these different people in front of a whole crowd. I think you would want to protect your identity and keep yourself safe because surely the people who abused you do not want your story getting out. Surely. They don't want people to know that there's a whole cabal of men who are ritualistically abusing children. So I don't think you would even maybe want to put yourself at risk and share your story in front of hundreds of hundreds of people and post it on TikTok for all the world to hear too. You know, it's like people who have actually survived human trafficking and escaped They have to go into hiding. They have to even sometimes go into witness protection because their pimps, their abusers, their traffickers want them back. And they want them back to either silence them so that their survivors cannot uncover their human trafficking operation, or they want them back because they want them to continue working for them. Because they have already broken this person down to the point where they can do anything to them. And so they want to keep people like that. It's really, really hard to break a human down like that to the point where they are um, unable to fight back against being abused or trafficked ritualistically. In fact, my one of my friends told me that her parents donated to this woman's safe house it was a safe house for women who had been taken and rescued out of human trafficking and someone on the team they're not sure if it was intentional or unintentional but regardless someone on the team at the safe house leaked the address to the safe house and within days days the safe house was flooded with people calling them flooded with people showing up at the door, people demanding to see certain people, talk to certain people, people saying that they were looking for their girlfriend, right? You know, people saying they were looking for their wife, people saying they were looking for blah, blah, blah. And it was a bunch of human traffickers that essentially wanted their property, quote unquote, back. So these people don't just let someone go easily. And not to be morbid, but sadly, many women and children don't make it out of those situations. Anyway, all of that made me not take this woman's story seriously. And it honestly kind of angered me to hear her story. And then, of course, because of the way the TikTok algorithm works... After I watched her video, I immediately got served a video of another woman claiming to also have survived SRA. And I didn't even listen to her story because I was so angry <laughs> from the one I had just watched. So I clicked off and I stopped watching TikTok for that day because I can only handle so much TikTok. Um, but yeah, it it really angered me to hear this woman's story that was so obviously fake in in my mind. And I want to say that I do believe something happened to Nikki. I do believe that she probably was abused in some way, whether she survived domestic violence at the hands of a partner, whether she survived child abuse, whether she survived sexual abuse as a child or as an adult or, or both. I do believe that something happened to her. Maybe she was abandoned as a child. Maybe she was neglected and had parents who weren't really very involved in her life. Because, you know, a normal, healthy, well-adjusted person doesn't stand up on a stage and make up a bunch of lies about how they survived SRA. Normal people don't do that. Normal people don't think to themselves, I'm going to fabricate this Um, fantasy that I was so brave and so strong and so courageous and I survived SRA and I was such a clever child and I was so talented and special and they wanted to move me up up in the ranks of their cabal but I escaped that she said all of that and so yeah I don't think a normal well-adjusted person feels the need to make up a bunch of lies like that and then get up on a stage, at a festival, in front of hundreds of people, and tell all of those lies. So I do definitely think something happened to her. I think she just created a fantasy, because sometimes fantasies are easier to escape into than the truth. And even if the fantasy sounds awful, like surviving SRA, I mean, sadly, her fantasy could have been better than what her reality actually was. And, again, I think why Nikki's story is so dangerous and why other false claims of SRA are so dangerous is because, one, if you are accusing a certain person or persons by name of SRA, that can ruin their reputation. That can ruin their livelihood. Remember when I mentioned Mr. McMartin and how he was accused of SRA and how he fought for seven years to clear his name? Because something like that can be life-ruining. And so I think people need to be careful when they throw around allegations and accuse people by name of SRA. It's also dangerous and upsetting when people fabricate surviving SRA because, again, I believe that there are people who have actually endured SRA, and there are people who have actually escaped SRA situations. And if, you know, people are popping up left and right claiming that they survived SRA, but their story is proven to be false, I think it makes it harder and harder to believe the people who actually are telling the truth. It becomes like the boy who cried wolf, right? If enough people are crying, I survived SRA, I survived SRA but then their story is proven false when someone comes along who actually tries to get help and is actually like, hey, I just escaped an SRA situation, people may be more hesitant to believe them because all the other cases of SRA have been proven to be false. And another reason why I think people claiming to be survivors of SRA when that's not true I think it's a problem because it can also um, misappropriate resources to go towards hunting down, you know, devil worshippers and Satanists and SRA situations that just don't exist. And that is a shame because there are children who actually need to be rescued from abusive situations at the hands of their parents or A parent's friend or another family member or a teacher or whatever. And that was actually a criticism back in the day um, when the satanic panic was happening. Certain lobby groups would form together and kind of speak up against the fact that so many SRN claims were being made and that police officers and detectives and therapists and doctors were wasting their time hunting down devil worshippers that didn't actually exist and children who really suffered abuse, really were sexually abused, did not get the help that they need as, as quickly as they should have, because everyone was running around looking for demons and devils in society. So why does this all matter, right? Why, why is SRA and accusations of SRA such a big deal? especially in 2023. I think it matters and it's worth talking about in Christian communities because I think we as Christians easily accept things that seem beyond belief, right? I mean, if we look at the Bible and how many amazing and fantastical things happen in the Bible. It is beyond the scope of imagination, beyond human understanding, but as Christians we lean on the idea of faith, right? That faith is the belief in unseen things. None of us were alive to see all of the things that happened in the Bible. You know, none of us have really seeing heaven or seeing God or seeing the supernatural realm. I mean, some people have here and there, but I mean, as Christians as a whole, we haven't seen these fantastical things that we are supposed to believe are true. We're supposed to believe that heaven is real, God is real, angels are real, but we haven't seen any of those things. And that's where our great gift of faith as Christians comes into play. But I think sometimes in Christian communities, people lean too much into faith, too much into acceptance, to where they don't question anything. They just take whatever they hear at face value. And I think we need to be more on guard, and I think we need to use more of our critical thinking skills as Christians because our our great gift of faith can easily be manipulated by people or by certain situations. We are more open-minded to accept fantastical things or outlandish accusations than other people may be, and so again, I think that can be manipulated or misused by other people. I think in today's society we are not just Christians but I think people in society in general are so led by our emotions sometimes that logic and reason can kind of fall by the wayside especially if you scroll through things on social media it's all it's all emotion based that's what draw, draws people in that's why you'll hear like you know sad songs over someone you know, telling a sad story. they're they're trying to heighten that sad emotion by the music that they they choose. So it's a very, very emotion based. And I think we need to bring logic and reason and critical thinking back into the equation. You know, when I was sitting down to brainstorm this episode, I was chatting with my husband, and we were talking about the satanic panic and all of that. And he threw out a phrase, that I really liked which is trust but verify trust but verify and I think we live in an age where people don't do enough of that I think when people see something on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or wherever even in the news I think people are so quick to believe it and take it at face value Rather than using their critical thinking skills and being like, hold on, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> something, something doesn't seem right here. And I'm not saying we all do that, of course, but I think just by and large, I've kind of seen a trend where people just don't do the research, don't take the time to ask questions, don't take the time to really form their own opinion before they just start agreeing with someone or, you know, supporting someone's story. And I think that's kind of becoming a lost art, honestly. (laughs) It's not unkind to disagree with people. And I think our society is also kind of forgetting that too, that you can disagree with people and still be friends. You can disagree with people and still like them. Um, That you're not offending someone by disagreeing with them. And... It's okay to look with a more critical lens at the stories that people are sharing on social media, stories that can potentially catch like wildfire. And I think if we're not careful, we can get back into that kind of satanic panic again, like we did in 2020 and like we did in the 1980s. We can easily get back to those kind of witch-hunt days where people are being accused of that left and right, and I think we, we just need to be careful. We don't want to ruin people's lives. We don't want to make it harder for victims who actually have survived SRA to come forward and, and be believed when they share their case. And we want to be able to call the truth what it is. And again, when anyone shares something like that, shares really heavy allegations of abuse, I think, again, trust them, of course, because you don't want to blame the victim. But again, you can also do the steps to verify, because people do lie about that stuff sometimes, sadly. You know, I I know people who have lied about really heavy things, Um, Not abuse, from what I can think of, but I do know plenty of people that have lied about heavy, serious things, and I'm sure you guys have too, so I don't think it's a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a very, very wise thing that, you know, when we see something that just doesn't seem right, especially if it's, even if it's someone's story, we can still question it. So anyway, I'm just going in there. Just keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. Still listen to people with an open mind. And like my husband said, just trust but verify. I will leave you with his very wise words. As always, thank you so much for spending a part of your day with me. I appreciate it so, so much. And before I go, I just want to remind you to please like, and rate this podcast from wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm even on YouTube Music now, so if you prefer the YouTube Music app to listen to podcasts, you can find me there. Just search Lone Wolves Club, um, or you can also click the links in my bio on Instagram. You can find me there at lonewolvesclub.pod, And the links have a few different places you can find the podcast, like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, um, YouTube, music, etc. But anyway, like I said, please like and rate from whatever platform you listen on. I know every content creator asks for that, but it really, really does help get my message out to more people. And I want to welcome as many people as I can into our club so that... More and more people will feel like they have a club, will feel like they have a place that they belong. I'm your host, Nicole Porter. This has been another episode of the Lone Wolves Club podcast. Until next time.